All right, good evening once again. And uh, we're in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. We have been looking, uh, last week we, we went through half the message, so I expanded the other half, and hopefully we'll get through this second portion of um, the title being uh, Ways, or 12 Ways to Love, and this again is part two. And uh, so we'll read down through our text that we began last week and then pick it up on uh, points 7 down to 12. So it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly and affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And be of the same mind toward one another and do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion." Father, we thank you for the Word of God tonight. We pray that you would bless it to our hearts and minds as we look into it. We ask, Lord, that you teach us to love as you, you love. And even that last song that we just sang, Lord, reminding us of the love of Christ. And lo, how I love Jesus. And Lord, we need to love you more. We need to love each other more. Help us to demonstrate that as we should. And we thank you now for the Bible and give it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week we looked at the first part of this text and uh, up to verse uh, 13 is where we went. But uh, just going over those points, love must be sincere, right, without hypocrisy. It must be discerning. Uh, it can't be just in every direction. It must show tender affection, not just a clinical kind of love, right? And then it must honor and it must be enthusiastic. That's another way that we ought to be loving and patient, and we kind of ended with those, um, looking at each one of those points, going down verse by verse in our study here. And as I've already mentioned, as we've gone through the book of Romans now for over a year, we've been in this book, uh, we've looked at the doctrinal section of the book and gone through and, and built the case for all the heavy, really the major doctrines of the faith are found right in the book of Romans. And we hopefully have come to under, understand and appreciate better those key things that lay the foundation for our faith. And uh, we come to the second part of this book, and in this, or this last part of the book, I should say, third part really is because we divided it in three parts. And you look at the practical, how our faith or what we really believe plays out. And so when you come to chapter 12, you have Paul uh, dealing with some of those practices that each and every Christian should observe. And, you know, we talked about holiness, right? Presenting our bodies, a living sacrifice. We went down through that section, why that's important. And then naturally, the outflow of the Christian should be the product of love, not just an earthly kind of sensual love, or just even a, a humanity kind of love, or love for each other that is just rooted in, in being common human beings, but a divine love. And that's the kind of love that's in focus here. It's not the only kind, but that's what we've been looking at. And you come to uh, verse 13, and this is where we ended last week, at, just before this verse. 
And we're going to look at point seven here, which is love must be generous. Love must be generous. And it says here, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. And we'll look at those two points right there. The first one, distributing to the needs of the saints. Some versions say contributing to the needs of the saints. And what Paul says is that our love, it should be like God's love, a love that includes action. And although the word distributing could mean uh, coming alongside someone and helping them, picking them up a little bit in their time of need, it's a, really a direct reference to helping them materially. And if we're going to demonstrate love to people, you have to be willing to help them materially. Sometimes the bottom line is the money that they need or someone to come along and assist them in something that would cost great labor if they had to hire it out. Or there's a, there's a hundred million probably different ways to show how to love somebody. And I can say from personal experience, I have benefited greatly over the years from people who've come alongside us and in our times of need have helped us directly as a family, sometimes being in the ministry. Now, sometimes the mindset, though, is that we do that to keep our pastor happy or we, you know, want to make sure he's, you know, well cared for and he, he doesn't get skinny and all those things. You guys are doing great at that. But uh, it's not really only about that. Although the apostles lived off the fruit of the gospel and they also worked, you know, like Paul worked and, and, and served in that way, but they had the right to do that because they were, you know, out there in the front line, they were doing that. And certainly had the, uh, had the needs taken care of as God met them. But really, the picture here is the, to all saints, not just to those in ministry, not just to those that you like, maybe. <laughs> That's the other thing, you know. Sometimes people get into a point and they're believers and, and life is just kind of pounded on them for a while. And they just need someone to come along and give them a hand, even when you don't necessarily deserve that or whatever. It's easy sometimes to give to people that are very giving people, right? Or not real needy people. And yet, sometimes coming across, uh, especially within when the context of Christianity as a church or whatever, some of us at times are very needy. And, and it weighs. But yet, I'm thankful for the believers that are able to come along and to help. And so, we are to be distributing to the needs of the saints. You see that borne out in the first uh, century church right there in uh well right after the church starts and you come to the book of acts in chapter six and you have the appointment of leaders who were designated they were called deacons especially to take care of the needs of in that case widows and they were widows who were um hellenist widows they were greeks okay and though they had you know come from they were jewish people but they were of the greek culture and there was a dissension among, you know, it was easier to take care of the Jewish widows, but a little harder to take care of the Greek widows. You know, people just had maybe some prejudices there. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't necessarily say, but there arose a dispute over it. And the apostles were teaching. I mean, there were thousands of people they were ministering to at this point and teaching daily in the temple. They were filling Jerusalem with their doctrine. And I can just tell you this, that sometimes uh, just trying to prepare two or three messages a week it takes most of my time, you know, of my free and at least my free time of mental energy and all that, which sometimes is very limited. All right. And I can appreciate those who say, hey, I, I'm going to go out and visit somebody. I'm going to go out and take care of that or I'm going to go help them in those areas. And sometimes I can go do that. But a lot of times I, I'm not the person for it. 
And I'm thankful for those who distribute it or distribute or contribute to the needs of the saints. By the way, the word that is there for contribute or distribute, it is the same word we get uh, the root of uh, koinonia, which is that fellowship or the serving of others, sharing with others. And it is often thought of the context of, uh, uh, you know, part of our, our church activity as we commune with each other. And so it actually is a demonstration of love one to another, another that draws the whole body together. So great opportunity there. Make sure your love is generous and be willing to do that. By the way, the early church, uh, it's interesting there in Acts, right after you have 3,000 people getting saved and it talks about some of their characteristics of what they were doing and says they had all things in common. They were selling their properties and they were giving the money actually to those who needed it. And you say, well, that, that's just too much. Why would I ever go and sacrifice that? That would be like saying, I'm going to sell my house today, sell my whatever possessions I, I just don't need, you know, be thankful for a roof over your head somewhere. I guess if you sell your house, you might be up in, in problem. But, you know, and then saying, I'm just going to give that away. And there's been a few people I've, ever, I've come across in my life or I've read about that took God at his word and did that and they were mightily blessed for it. I have not come to that. And God hasn't really called me to that either. And it would be kind of silly to go sell my house and then I'd say, guys, I'm homeless. Come help me. You know, uh, that's not where, where we're at but in that way. But there were people that were being persecuted. Their properties were being stripped away. You think about the early church. There were women who were getting saved and their husbands were not. And they were saying, I'm putting you away. Not going to take care of you anymore because you have become one of those followers of the way. And there were men that found themselves in a similar situation. Families were divided. The, the whole religious uh, umbrella of Judaism was divided. And, and up to that point, many people looked at, at the early Christian church as just another offshoot of Judaism. And it was like, all right, they've, they've erred and we're going to just separate them. And so they no longer could get employment. They could no longer go out and sell their goods in the trade guilds because they were ostracized for their faith. And all of that was arising. And, and Christians stepped up and said, we're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of your needs. And God honored that. And he's been doing that for the last 2,000 years. He was doing it before then, for sure. Even before there was a Christian church. He's been doing it with his people. Our love must be generous. Uh, second or 8.8 love must pursue hospitality and that's what it says here given to hospitality now the word hospitality is not a word that is used that often uh, in our modern society Uh, the word hospitality it carries the idea of uh, a love for strangers okay the greek word is actually phileo xenia Love for strangers. Uh, you've heard of xenophobia. That's a, a fear of strangers, right? Or fear of immigrants, as they use it in context today or whatever. But here, it's philo, uh, philo or philoxenia, meaning it is a love for those who are outside or strangers. And it, it's maybe even outside your family. And outside, certainly, our comfort zone. And as a Christian, we are to love to be hospitable. And it's interesting because this is one of those um, characteristics or commands, I should say, because he doesn't just 
It's not an option. He says, given to hospitality. It is a common phrase that comes up over and over again in the New Testament. And I don't think Christians should be exempted from that by saying, I just don't particularly like people and I'm not, you know, I don't want, I think we're all called to be part of that. Now, it doesn't mean, there are, I have stayed in a lot of places over the years for various things. When we were, you know, missionaries and we were, stayed in a lot of different homes and many different lands. And I, I can tell you when I worked at MBBI and I was on the road, there were times, especially this time of year, we would go on, on the road and, and I would end up sleeping in probably 10 different beds in the course of two weeks, you know what I mean? In a different home every night. And I can say this, there were people that were really gifted at hospitality. Then there were others who were going, oh, I hope I got to the right house tonight. You know, I, I don't think they want me here, you know, and, and, and but that was a rare exception. But, but I also remember times where, you know, we stayed at a house, but there was another person in the church that they brought a meal in to make sure that our team could be fed. Uh, another one, you know, would meet you at the door and, and say, hey, you know, go visit our missionary closet <laughs> or go do this, you know, taking care of our needs as we sometimes didn't even realize we would have those kind of needs or having vehicles break down and having a Christian say, I can take care of that and don't worry about it. And those kind of areas of, of given to hospitality is, is actual direct care, of housing and material support in that way. And it is the idea of a kind affection to strangers, people you're not usually having, you know, in your home or whatever else. Thankful for those. And I, I could tell you uh, time and time again, I, I wish I had written down all the places I've had opportunity to stay since I've been a Christian. Uh, I remember a lot of them. I've forgotten some, but I, I, there were some very special times sitting around a table uh, sitting up maybe sometimes late at night on a Sunday night or some other night when we had had ministry and, and we're just sitting there sharing and wonderful opportunities happening out of that. Occasionally somebody, you know, sensing the, the call of God on their life because as in their ministry to us or to me directly or others, they sense that, that God was at work in their life and they wanted deeper things. And I think that's great. Your house, your home, uh, is, is a tremendous place for ministry. It really is. And like I said, you may not have the accommodations, you, you know, but you might. Most people do if they, you know, stretch themselves a bit and things like that. I think of all the opportunities in Scripture. And by the way, I say that's a command because it is. It, 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 actually, for, for people in ministry... 1 Timothy 3.2, listen to this, a bishop, that word is a word used for pastor, okay? And the bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, hmm, hospitable, there it is, able to teach, all those qualifications, but those are qualifiers, by the way, and and I have to go down through that now and again and read them and say, I hope I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilling that qualification. Because if I don't, I shouldn't be in the ministry. And hospitality is a big part of that. Thankful I, I have a wife who she, she really jumps at the opportunity to serve in those times. It's not always easy. And sometimes I know uh, it, it will create stress. But you know what? It always is a blessing to have somebody in or take care of them if we can. And we've seen it both directions that way. Titus also, written to a young pastor, Titus, on the Isle of Crete, 
But hospitality, he says, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. Those are all qualifiers, again. We see it not only in the New Testament. We see it beginning right in the Old Testament, this idea of hospitality. Remember Genesis 18? You have Abram. Abraham, he's, he's, in the, he's living there on the, on the plain. Uh, you know, the, the step, I should say, whatever. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of the Mamre, on the plains of Mamre, and as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, and he doesn't recognize yet that this is the Lord God that's with him, really. He sees three men, but he's saying, My master, giving him honor, If I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. You know what Abraham was doing there? He he took the opportunity to minister to these three men. They're three strangers to him at this point. He doesn't know who they are. But he shows hospitality. And let me just let you in on a little secret. He received a great blessing for that. Because one of the men that is there is the Lord himself. We know that because in John chapter 8, Jesus alludes to this time when he saw Abraham. Abraham saw him. They say, you're not even 50 years old. How can you have seen Abraham? And he makes that great statement, John 8, 58. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews took up stones to kill him. Because when he used that phrase, I am, he was making himself equal with God. That's the very way God identified himself to Moses at the burning bush. The I am. This is the same account. He was referring to Genesis chapter 18. The other two men who appear there, they aren't men either. They are angels. They are actually going to be used in the deliverance of Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah and used in the destruction and judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. These are not just men. They're angelic beings and they've been called to a special purpose. Isn't it neat that you'd have opportunity to uh, entertain in your home angels and the Lord himself? Hmm. It's interesting. The writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 1, he says, and some have entertained angels unawares. I think it's a direct reference there to Abram, Abraham. Maybe others also. Ever wonder about that? We don't go looking for those things, but you have opportunity. And regardless of the, the fact that Abraham had an opportunity to minister to the Lord, ministering to God's people is a service to the Lord. And we are to be hospitable in those things. How about Lydia of Acts chapter 16? The first convert in Europe this woman the seller of purple and and she's converted and you know what she does she doesn't run off and say thank you she says come into my house it's a natural uh, supernatural I should say product of the love that has been displayed to us to want to open our homes to strangers this man Paul that she had not met and didn't even know him a day guess what <laughs> he's now in her home 
And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. I love that. Have you begged people to stay with you? Lydia did. I'm so thankful for that. I've shared with you before, I've had that one occasion where that ever happened to me like that. There have been people who said, we really want to have you stay with us. And then they never invite me back. I don't know what I did. No, no, that's not. But I remember in Ukraine, I, I was just there a couple months at that point. And when I, I went to uh, the city of Vinitsa uh, in eastern or western Ukraine near the Polish border. And we went from there out into some villages, uh, this missionary team I was with. And I didn't know much well, they speak only Ukrainian in that part of, the, of Ukraine. I was learning Russian, and I only had a few phrases in Russian that I really knew, and I understood just a little bit. And I, I was learning Russian, and uh, thankfully they all knew Russian, but, you know, they didn't speak Russian. They spoke Ukrainian. And, and all this, that's a big problem. And I'm out there, and I'm going with this guy who was a, he had been there for a number of years, and he spoke fluent Russian, Ukrainian, and very gifted linguist that way. And we were going out through a village. I mean, when I say a village, um, muddy, deep, rutted, you know, roads, little streets. They weren't even streets. They're just roads between farmhouses and this little village of maybe a couple thousand people all living there. And, and we were just going, trotting through the mud. And I didn't know where I was. I didn't know the name of the village. I didn't know anything. I just knew I was with a missionary who did, all right? And we're going along, and all of a sudden, I hear this guy, and he's yelling at us. And he's yelling in Ukrainian, and, and he's hollering, and he's running down, and the mud's flying and everything, and he comes up to us, and, and he says something to this other guy, Steve was his name, and, and I said, Steve, what does this guy want? And he says, he wants you to go stay with him tonight. Uh, he says, he's never met an American, and he wants an American to stay with him. I thought, oh boy, I don't know. Hope I'm a good American. Sometimes we get bad reputations, you know. And I just, and I, and I said, well, I don't know this guy. He says, well, he says he's a believer. It's okay. I said, I don't know where I am. He says, okay, he'll take care of you. And Stephen leaves me and goes off. And I'm standing there. I don't know where I am. I'm somewhere in Ukraine. No cell phones, no, no phones. I mean, and at night I went to this guy, Vadim was his name. And Vadim took me to his little house. He had a, a, a wife. Of, they'd been married just about a year. They just had a little baby born. And they're living in this literally two-room little stone farmhouse. You could have gone back 500 years and it probably looked just the same. I mean, it was that simple. The exception had two light bulbs in the whole house. One in the living, kind of what I call a living room. One in the kitchen area. And those are the only two light bulbs in the house. And, and we went in there. And he sat down and he pulls out, he says, you know, something. He pulls out this Russian English dictionary and he starts, and they had taught themselves English out of just a dictionary. It's all they had. Now, it wasn't very good English, but they knew a lot of words. And, and they would shoot out words and I would say, yeah, okay, you know, and I'd try to find some words and I'd go and look them up. We did that for a couple hours. And what a joyous fellowship we had. Two believers, they went to the little church that I found out the next day we were going to be in. It was a Saturday we were there, and Sunday was the service, and about a couple miles away, and, and that's where he would walk with his wife and infant. And, and I, I didn't know all that. I just was there with him. And, and then he, guess what he did? 
He brings out a, a can of sardines. Now, I'm talking about a jar of sardines, okay? How many here like sardines? Yeah, I, I, I do. I like sardines. It's a good thing. And he sits that down on the table. And then he brings a can of what is sweetened condensed milk. And that's odd to have sardines and sweetened condensed milk, okay? But I'll tell you something, that's all they had. They had some, this was in the spring, and it was still like freezing at night and, and all of that. And, and their stocks of food was pretty much depleted. And, and um, anyway, so they took me in, and, and we sat there. And there was no fork, by the way. We had a few crackers, too. No fork. They had one common knife that you'd use and stuff like that. And we'd reach in, grab a sardine, grab a cracker, put some sweet and condensed milk on it, and eat, and try to talk. And I'll tell you, I had the most joyous evening. And I went, and I got, it was late, probably near midnight, and Vadim comes, and he says, you're going to sleep here. And there was just a little tiny couch, is what it was, and you couldn't really stretch out on or anything. But that's my bed. And he gives me this great big thick wool blanket and I went to sleep. I slept like somebody who's dead. I mean, it was just one of those the sleeps, you know. I, I didn't remember anything till about six o'clock in the morning. I heard somebody rustling in the kitchen and there was just a little curtain that separated the kitchen and this other room. And, and I went in there and I look and because, you know, I thought somebody's up. I went in and he had been sleeping on a cot with his wife and their infant and they had a sheet. That's all they had. And they'd given me their only blanket for the night. And by the way, it got so cold in the house at the night that the water froze in the, in the buckets of water that they had. Don't give me an excuse we can't entertain people. Most often, we just don't want to. And I say that because that demonstrated more love to me than I have probably seen. And I don't mean to say it in a bad way to compare it, but... Sometimes we think we have to have it all perfect because people won't have a good time. I'll tell you, I had the best time and I could go back to that house in a minute, you know. I don't know where they are now. Vadim and Helena. Helen would be her name and, and their little baby who would now be probably older teenager for sure. Probably nearing 20. Hospitable. Let me go back here. Uh, yeah, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue, and do not forget to entertain strangers. <laughs> for, doing, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And uh, it's interesting, later on, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, right? I slipped up there, we don't know for sure it's Paul, probably is. Verse 3 says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Wow. Love must show hospitality. Are you a xenophiliac? <laughs> That's someone who really loves strangers. That's what a Christian should be like. And by the way, go through the Bible and look at the amount of times entertainment is used for ministry. I say entertainment, not the kind of song and dance entertainment, but the kind of bringing somebody in and being hospitable to them. Uh, over and over again, you have Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Remember 1 Kings 17? How about Elisha and the Shunammite woman? Uh, you have the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. You had Lydia in Acts 16. You have Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth uh, ministering to Paul. How about uh, the home of Philip of Caesarea in Acts 21? 
You have Nason from Cyprus. Paul stayed with him in his travels. They're mentioned. Paul stayed with Publius on the island of Malta. And then Gaius, when he wrote Romans from Corinth at the end of his third missionary journey, he was staying with somebody when he wrote this wonderful book that we're studying. And you could go right down through. Peter, he stayed in the home of Simon the Tanner, Acts 10. You have the letters of 2nd and 3rd John that focus on, well, at least part of their books, focus on hospitality. And the people that are named in Scripture and, and had a wonderful blessing. Wouldn't it be neat to, you know... 20 years from now, say, yeah, I remember a time we had the Apostle Paul with us. Or Peter stayed with us. Or Jesus stayed with us. Jesus also had people that were on his traveling journeys, the places he resided, and those things. And these people had that opportunity. And, and we too could have that as a blessing when we do that. Well, love must be hospitable. Love must be kind. Let's go back to our text and yes bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse and this is interesting because it's talking about those who uh, you know are persecuted and and he paul says bless and do not curse our love should always be kind even to our enemies and i that's another thing that separates true christianity from every other religion that's out there if you want to use that word really most religions have not not all but most worldviews or or, or they stem out of a, a mindset that we always vengeance is part of what man is able to do to return an evil for an evil right and it's easy to fall into that and it's easy to say i'm justified in going out and and hurting that person like they hurt me or hurt my loved one Paul says, bless those who persecute you. By the way, it wasn't original with him. Remember who said it first? Jesus, yeah. Jesus said it first, didn't he? Remember he tells, bless those who persecute you. Do good to those, right? Uh, Talking about those things. Bless and do not curse. And you know what? When you do that, and there are many, many different illustrations of that, you do this with this in mind. Really, you're looking at what happens to us and how you respond. Those things are always a battle that go on. But ultimately, we demonstrate what our Heavenly Father is like. Because He's rich in mercy. He's quick to forgive. He's able to love His enemies. And He's even able to do that at the worst moment in all of history at the cross. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was blessing them and not cursing them. Let me let you in on a little thing. If Jesus had said from the cross, Father, destroy them! He had every right to do so. And every single one of those people that were there that day would have been annihilated. And I don't think it would be limited to that. He can fold up creation in an instant. Because He's God. But He blessed them instead of cursing them. And I'm glad because I wouldn't be here neither with you if we got what we deserved. <laughs> bless those who persecute you and, or, 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 and bless and do not curse. Oh, the beauty in that. Some of the beautiful pictures in Scripture of, of those instances where you have that love that comes from the Father and is demonstrated through a life that suffers 
Joseph of the Old Testament, remember Genesis 50, verse 20, he looks at his brothers who sold him into slavery, who tried to destroy his life, we're going to kill him at one point, all those. And God elevates Joseph to a place where he saves his own brethren and saves the nation of Egypt. And he is able to look past all the hurt that has gone on in his life. And he makes that statement where he says, uh, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He blesses his brethren. Hmm. And we could go over and over again with that. Number 10, love must show sympathy. Love must show sympathy. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And that's not kind of a showy kind of thing, but it's really hurting with people and, and rejoicing with people. Does it make you excited when you see another Christian get blessed? I mean, just get something that they, it just should. It, it really should. That's, that's a product of love. When I, I think about it, my own f- direct family and I see something good happen to my child or someone do something nice to them, I, I love that. I'm like, wow, thank you for just doing that. And that's how God delights. And you know what? That's how we should be too. Sometimes it's envy though that creeps in. I think, why does that person get that? And I don't. Why? Why? The, I mean, that's what Joseph's brothers did, right? Why did he get a coat? I didn't. Why does the Why does our father like him and not us? You know, or like him more, or love him more? See, we we kind of do those things, and we're just to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's a multitude of ministry opportunities of just going by and sitting with somebody and weeping. Just weep with them, you know. It's a little boy who came home from school and he was all upset and. His mother said, what happened? And he said, my little friend, Freddie, you know Freddie, he says he came to school today and he was feeling terrible and I, I knew something was wrong. I asked Freddie what happened. He says, my dad died yesterday. He said, what did you tell him? The mother says, what did you tell him? He says, I just, I just cried with him. Just cried with him. Can, can you do that? You know, can I do that? I, I asked the Lord, just make my eyes wet. I need it. My heart gets hard. Show some sympathy. Love must live in harmony. He says, live in harmony with one another. Hmm. Harmony. The word, uh, it's a term that we use in music, right? You know, when we sing together, and we can even sing different parts, and it harmonizes. It, it makes something sweet to the ear. And I think of that like a beautiful symphony going on. And have you ever gone, and um, there's a difference between going to like the symphony orchestra somewhere and sitting down and listening to all the different parts of music and, and instruments playing and all that, and then going to, let's say, the fifth grade, you know, clarinet musical or whatever right uh or or you know the the the, that means they mean well but have you ever get there and everybody's trying to hit the notes and one's hitting this and just you know it's cute but it doesn't sound good always sometimes you know if we're not harmonizing one one with another that's what we sound like say yeah it's nice but i don't really want any part of that there's a big difference when something harmonizes. And it, here it's their love. Live in harmony with one another. That's what he's uh, saying. That means what I do today should, should further you 
And what you do today as Christians should further me. And, and together we sound better. Uh, I don't know of anybody that can sing all harmony parts at once. They can't. You, know, you can do it with modern technology, lay down a track, lay down a track, lay down a track, do that. There's some wonderful pieces out there doing that. But live music, you can only do it one thing at a time. And you know what? Some sing tenor and some sing, you know, bass, and right? Some sing the melody and they all come in, you know, all the different parts and blend. And it's a wonderful sound. That's the body of Christ. And then lastly, love must show humility. Love must show humility. He says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Hmm. Uh, that in itself right there is, is an area where we just need to do that. Don't be proud or haughty. That's the proud spirit is really what he's talking about there. In other words, you look around and you go, ah, I'm not hanging out with that crowd. That's, that's beyond me. Uh, but associate with the lowly. Associate with them. That means maybe go sit with them. Ha have meal with them. Bring them in your house. Whatever. I mean, these are the opportunities. I'm not not talking about the dangerous. I'm talking about the lowly, you know. We make excuses today out of safety and security, and we say, I don't want to get dirty and, and see somebody that's going through that or have that in their past or this or that. I, it's, that's too low for me. We may not say it, but that's our actions. Associate with the lowly. That's what Jesus did, by the way. The trouble is, you know, I think of the, the Pharisees and that pharisaical attitude is sometimes so easy to get a hold of and not easy to get rid of. <laughs> and you remember the Pharisee who he went to pray and, and he said, Oh Lord, thank you. I'm not like that publican. Right? He had no association with the publican. He'd never sit down at a meal with a publican. You know, he'd never sit down and talk to that man. He would go out of his way to move around and then he would even pray against him. Thank you, I'm not like him. And then you have the publican who comes along and just beats his chest and says, Oh Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And the thing is, when we forget that we're just sinners saved by grace, we develop a spirit of haughtiness. Be careful with that. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That's conceit. Sometimes we get that way. I'm smarter than I really am. Do you know who you're talking to? You know that attitude, right? I, I've been guilty of that before. All of a sudden come across like, I'm, I'm more important than I really am. I had to go back and say, that's not Christ. He would never act that way. He had every right to, but he never did. And we need that, right? Never be wise in your own sight. Any wisdom should come from God, right? We live in a generation of what we people that call them as the self-made man or self-made woman or whatever, right? D.L. Moody came across such a man who uh, came to him one day and, and he said, Sir, I'm a self-made man. And Moody said, You have relieved the Almighty of a great responsibility. <laughs> Sometimes as Christians, that's the way we think, right? I, I'm doing it all. I, I'm doing it my way. And yet, let's let the Lord do it in us, right? Well, I end with that, but just some practical thoughts here. Those are those 12 things that would help us uh, to show our love. And 
there's lots of opportunities. And perhaps God's put something in your mind tonight or last time we spoke about areas that you could work on. He has with me. I, I have to tell you, every time I preach a message, the only problem I have is it has to go through me. And there's days I, I don't want to read that or say that because he puts his finger in my heart. Thankfully, he does that. I remember Bob Dowie years ago, he was preaching in the book of Genesis, I think it was, and as he or teaching it to us, and as he's doing that, he stopped right there and he bowed his head. And I thought, what's he doing? Has he forgotten something? Because he never forgot anything. And he just said, sorry. He says, God just showed something in my heart that I needed to confess to him. I thought, wow, good. I need that too, you know? And we do. And I just want to... I just want to pause in prayer right now and, and ask the Lord to help us in the practical part of this, you know. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you for the great truths that we've already studied and for, the I think, just the great practical things that are listed here. Lord, help us to maybe memorize this portion of Scripture. Help us to pray over each verse. Help us to maybe pick some areas of these verses that we could work on and, and ask you, Lord, just to stir our hearts. And Lord, I, I don't think that's too difficult, really. We thank you that you ultimately are the greatest example of love. Again, Lord, even thinking of today and the Resurrection Sunday that we're celebrating, I thank you that the empty tomb and, and the cross before it demonstrate the most love that anyone can ever give for you commended your love to us and while we were yet sinners christ died for us oh we're thankful for that tonight help us to be a church that shows that and does it sincerely and lord that you would just do mighty things and we would just be beautiful in your own ears lord as we harmonize together in that we ask in jesus name amen